Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. fellow Trek fans all over the world. Welcome one and all to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're all happy that you're here, whether you're new to the show or whether you've been with us a while. We hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Joining me as he does every week at this time is my co-host. He's a man who was once kicked out of the 80s metal band Striper for having hair that was far too unruly. He is the Uber Metal Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. I I ceased thee and I desist thee. <laughs> My hair has always been very tempered. Really? Unruly. <laughs> always good to be here, man. Episode fifty two? My God. Fifty two It's amazing, and we've uh, had a lot of new people listen to the show last week, so if you've come back to us, welcome back. We're happy you're here. And uh, Dan, today we have a conversation as the main part of our podcast that should be a great one. Yeah, uh, we did a review of Star Trek Horizon a couple episodes ago, and we had hoped to speak to the mastermind behind Horizon, uh, Mr. Tommy Kraft. But unfortunately, we had a little scheduling snafu that evening. We reschedule it, and as an added bonus, we're also going to be joined by Captain Hawk himself, Paul Lang. So we got a twofer. We do. Yeah, uh, it is now. Okay. (laughs) How would you spell that if it were a word? T-O-O-F-E-R. Great. So that's why you're not in charge of something as important as correspondence. Exactly. Oh, wait. Wait, Wait, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a a good conversation. It's a fun conversation, a lot of energy. Um, it's, It's great to get the perspective from the people who are creating these Star Trek uh uh, shows and movies for us to watch, as I said before. So uh, I think that the listeners are going to enjoy it. I think so too. And you know, if you haven't heard our episode regarding Horizon, where we talked about the movie and and ultimately gave our opinion on it, please feel free to go back and listen. Um, if you're listening to this episode and you've not watched Horizon yet, there are some spoilerish things that we talk about with Tommy and Paul. So we'll warn you about that ahead of time. Um, either way, you really should go back and watch the movie because it it's it's wonderful. I wouldn't Sp- use it. This say Dan. spoilerish is that a word, Bill? It is now. It's, okay, how would you spell that? Uh, spoiler, <laughs> ish. Yeah, it's closer okay. than twofer. <laughs> that sounded good at the time. <laughs> <laughs> if you're concerned that you might learn some details you you don't want to know yet, then please. Pause this now, go watch Horizon, and uh, and then come back to it. But for now, we hope you enjoy our conversation with 
Paul Lang and Tommy Kraft. Well, the first trailer for Star Trek Horizon debuted online in 2014, and it has been viewed more than three million times. Over the past couple of years, our appetites have been continued to be wet with trailers and scenes galore, and the wait has finally come to an end with the release of Star Trek Horizon back on February 26th. Since then, it has been viewed on YouTube over 430,000 times as we record today on March 10th. We are very happy to be joined today with Captain Harrison Hawk himself, Mr. Paul Lang. Paul, welcome to the Trek Geeks podcast, and congratulations on the success of this game-changing fan film. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Or me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's really amazing to see how this has skyrocketed uh, so quickly, as as folks may or may not know, the uh, Tommy Lang, the director and the and the mastermind beside be, uh, behind Horizon, launched the film a couple of days early because um, of a pro, of a early showing for for backers of the fundraising, and he decided to launch it for everyone, and it's just been going crazy ever since that happened. Yeah, and it's Tommy Kraft. Tommy Kraft. I got Paul yeah. Lang on the brain. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, no relation. And yep. um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, great response uh, overall. You know, with the exception of a few, uh, you know, naysayers out there. Uh, the the you know, and even then, uh, most people say that it's a you know very, very well done. You know, especially you know with the limitations of budget and crew that Tommy had making it. And yeah, we're very happy about that. Now, um, you know, now we want to keep that going. We want to keep you know keep the uh, the views increasing. You know, so that people can see it. Maybe talk Tommy into doing that sequel we are totally on board with the idea of a sequel i tell you what absolutely <laughs> paul yeah so, so is most of the cast i don't know about tommy though <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do to strong arm him <laughs> yeah well you know what a budget might help this time uh, yeah you know, definitely we, we can think about tommy took three years to make this i mean three years and it was him you know it, it's a it's one heck of a struggle so well, and honestly, the work speaks for itself. I think that now that fans have seen it, I I think that you know the the idea of perhaps crowdfunding a sequel is is even more possible, and probably with a, a better budget. Ideally, yeah. You know, it, it's um, the the even though the Trek universe, uh, the the Trekkies can be some of the most uh, creative and venomous or you know venomous uh, critics. Uh, they definitely get behind and support projects, um, as we know, because there's several other, you know, fan films out there, you know, Renegades, uh, Continues, Axanar, and they, and the, you know, the Trek universe, they really want to get more content out there. You know, they've been starved for content, I think. And, uh, and CBS is answering with a new, new series as well. So you know, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. You know, I think what fans appreciate the most is, you know, stories that are, that fit with Star Trek and great character development. And your character in particular, Captain Hawk is a very well-rounded character coming into this movie. You know, he's, he's clearly defined. We know what's gotten him where he is to some extent. You're very natural in the captain's chair. Did you have to audition for this part? Uh, no, actually, Tommy approached me. We had met on a short film that was directed by Mark Bowers, 
who plays Commander uh, Gates. Jackson. Sorry, Commander uh, Jack Jackson. And um, he, Tommy was the camera guy on it. And then um, about, I think probably, you know, eight months later, about that, about that amount of time, Tommy had called and said, hey, uh, I'm doing a Star Trek and I, you know, like to have you as the captain. And I, you know, of course, thought to myself, who would say no to that? And, um, you know, I actually, I did ask him a couple questions. I asked him how long is the film and how much CG and what's the budget? And uh, when I found out that it was feature length with 90% computer graphics and uh, no budget, I was a little skeptical. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> but once you get to know Tommy and you see his work, you realize that, you know, that, that level of dedication, uh, you know, it was going to get done. So I never worried about the film. And I've been involved in a lot of films that even with large budgets, um, didn't happen, just didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about even studio films, films that were, you know, put out by, you know, um, you know, Warner brothers, whatever it's films that had large budgets and you, they'll never see the light of day. And so, you got to go into it a little skeptical as an uh, actor, especially when it's going to be a passion project. You know, there, it, this is, this was not, you know, anything where you're making, you know, SAG day rate or anything, but, right. uh, mm -hmm. but you know, Tommy, Tommy did it, you know, and uh, he did it and he did it for, you know, under, you know, really probably under about $30,000. So, it's, you know, when you think about that and if you know films, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you can't tell that it was that that low budget in the in the finished project and the finished product, I should say. Yeah. Uh, well, have you always been a fan of Star Trek before you landed this role? Uh, if so, when did you start watching? Which series did you uh, first become attached to it? That type of stuff. Well, um, yes. Now I will preface this that I am not as well versed in the Trek universe, not even close. Uh, as Tommy is, or as uh, the, the guy who plays Francis, um, you know, Ryan Weber, those two are mm -hmm. walking Trek encyclopedias. And um, I, I grew up, of course, I'm older. So I grew up with the original series. Um, and then the next generation I, I started in on and then I had kids. And then it was all SpongeBob SquarePants after that. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I never really got into Voyager, Deep Space Nine, you know, or, or even Enterprise. Now, being in this movie, though, I would say I've gotten a, a more appreciation for the Enterprise series because, you know, Tommy speaks so very highly about it that I went back and did some viewing. And, you know, it is a very underrated series. Now, you know, there was there were some yep. there were some, uh, you know, misgivings of, of the series. But overall, it was probably the most like in in my opinion the most like realistic or gritty of showing a you know of what it would be like to be an explorer at the beginning stages of uh of the starfleet so, um so you know i was always a fan of captain kirk and and john luke card still are you know those mm -hmm. those two captains rule um, and I never really got to to know, you know, Janeway or or Cisco, but uh, and now I'm getting to know Archer. Uh, but yeah, these uh, the, the people involved with the film, especially Tommy, you know, he loves them all. But Enterprise was was definitely his favorite. 
You know, I have to yeah. say that the actor in you will probably love Deep Space Nine when you get to it. Because there is just so much amazing talent on that. No, I mean, everybody in Star Trek is talented. But when you look at that collection of actors and then the fact that they give them one overarching you know, story for the entire series, it really is amazing. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, well, I'm, you know what I did is I actually went back with my wife because she doesn't know anything about Star Trek. And this was one of the few movies I've been in that she watched. Um, <laughs> she, she just doesn't watch movies that I'm in. You know, because the whole suspension of disbelief or something, you know, suspension of belief. Um, and so we've been going back and watching the original series now, you know, starting with Captain Pike and, you know, the, the pilot. And mm-hmm. uh, and she's getting into it. You know, it's it's hilarious. She's starting to really, uh, you know, she has, she has her book and she pretends like she's not watching. And then all of a sudden her book's down and she's just sitting there you know, enthralled with the concepts going on. And this is the original series, you know, so that's 80 episodes we got to work through. And uh, then, uh, who knows next generation, but I might, I might check out, I've seen a couple of deep space nine, don't get me wrong. And a couple of Voyagers, but I really never, uh, I got to start at one, you know, you got to start at the first one and work your way through. Sure. Yeah. Bring them in. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, uh, Paul, one of the things, and, I, and I'm not saying this just because we have you on as a guest on the on the podcast. This has actually happened. Um, we've seen such an incredible amount of, of viewings of this so far in just the two weeks that it's been out. We've got 430,000 downloads and climbing. When people talk about Star Trek and discuss the captains, we've got now, seriously, we've got Captain Hawk who has been in discussions with Archer, Kirk, Picard, Cisco, and Janeway. I've actually had those discussions in the two weeks. What is that? How does that make you feel as the man who played Captain Hawk? It feels like I need to get a ticket to Comic-Con. Um, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would, you know, that's, that's very, um, that's very flattering. Uh, you know, it speaks a lot to the character that was was created by Tommy, um, you know, and, and I appreciate those those comments. I would you know, I would like to build more upon it, you know, to ever really, truly be considered, you know, amongst sure. those guys. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm it's like a one off. It's like a it's like a, a one hit wonder. But, you know, we um, I would love to see more of, of Captain Hawk. And then at that point, we can start discussing. You know, if he joins like the fraternity of captains. Um, so, you know, it's it's very flattering. I don't think, you know, I don't think yeah, I, Captain Hawk's a great character. And I would love to see more of it build as, you know, kind of like the the underdog ship during the Enterprise uh, series. I'd love yeah. to see more of that happen. Um, but, but as it stands, I mean, I, there's no way I'm going to compare myself, you know, to... You know, any of those guys or, or Janeway, you know, not, nah, I'm just, not, I, I would, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, understandable. One of the things that I found very funny about the movie and you actually made me think of it just now with something you said as kind of like the, um, um, being the captain of the discovery. One of the funniest parts of the movie, even though I don't think it was meant to be funny was when you were having the discussion of why us and why the discovery and why not the enterprise? And the answer was, you know, kind of, well, you know, they're a little bit more important <laughs> type of thing. I thought that was a quite funny uh, scene, even though I don't think it was meant to be as funny as it was to me. 
yeah, that's one heck of a girl I got there. And, and then she leaves you. <laughs> She's like, yeah, you know, those guys are important. I'm, I'm slumming with you. Uh, but, it, but it speaks to the whole, it speaks to the whole concept of, of discovery. I mean, you know, if you, if you've seen that theme that, that is in the film, you know, he doesn't get any sleep. They keep deploying this team. These guys have been like mm-hmm. six month mission. Then they got to go out and fight. And, you know, it's kind of like, um, what it's, it's just like these poor grunts are out there and they're not really grunts. Cause you know, I didn't play it militarily, but I'm really, uh, you know, in terms of backstory, probably the only one that is, you know, militarily focused out of the crew. And, um, but still, you know, you, you get a feeling that it's more of like a real, like a real person team, you know, and we've gotten some good response to that. And that's how it was supposed to be played. This wasn't supposed to be a swarthy captain, like a, you know, like a Kirk or, you know, um, you know, or a Picard. It was supposed to be just a, a real, a real officer, you know, in a pseudo you know, governmental position, pseudo military. It's not really military, you know, but in this case they have to be because they're in the midst of a, of a war or at least a pending war uh, with the Romulans. So, you know, we wanted that realism and I, and I think it came across, you know, you've got, you've got uh, a more seasoned uh, senior staff, you know, myself, I'm not, I'm not a 20 something year old Chris Pine. You know, you got, yep. uh, you know, my, my tactical officer uh, is, is, you know, um, the age that a tactical officer would be, you know. And, and so we're not just, a, we do have a, a very cute comm officer and, um, and we have no idea how old the Romulan is, but, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but we wanted to play it more realistic rather than, you know, trying to repeat the, the Hollywood method of, of uh, models and A-listers, you know. So I, I gained some weight for the role <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and shaved my hair and, you know, just so they could see what, you know, we, we definitely had our, our contingent to bald guys on the on set. And, uh, and so, and some people, they really get all, you know, you, you, you'd think in the, the, you know, whatever century we're in that the uh, 21st, maybe 22nd century, 22nd century, that people would get over the fact that, you know, dudes shave their head, but. You know, in the YouTube sphere, they they they're like, "Wow, a lot of bald guys." It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, maybe hair is not too important. It's in the way, then you know, and so. You know, on uh, on most Star Trek sets, and particularly on the bridge, there is a a complete tangible environment to work in. And considering you said, you know, the vast majority of this movie was CG, and I know a lot of it was shot in a basement which I think is just the best story ever. Did that make it tougher because you were dealing with so much green screen and with the exception of the captain's chair and a couple of consoles, there really wasn't anything there? Oh, there was no consoles either. I oh, mean, okay. it was the captain's chair, you know. Um, yeah, there was uh, the captain's chair. Uh, was pretty much it. That was built by Tommy's brother, Sean. Did a good job doing it. And if you notice, like it says NX04 on the bottom and there was a light, which yeah. was really cool. Um and Tommy says he's coming. Tommy's on his way, so we'll be, we'll be able to uh, <laughs> we'll be able to ask Tommy. Nice. Here. Excellent. Yeah. And so um, you know, but as an actor, yeah, it's a little tougher, you know, because like I'm sure you saw the blooper reel. Uh, there's there's times when we had to redo a scene because I was looking in the wrong direction, you know, and. Right, right. 
you know, you had to kind of, you know, get your eyelines right. And where is everybody? And a lot of times it was just one person on the set, you know, and, um, you know, uh, there's just me and I'd have to, you know, try to, you know, interact with nobody. Um, so, and it was all, it was for the most part, besides a couple of scenes, there's one in a house that we shot. Yep. Um, you know, that was Janine's house yep. on the lake. There was also the scene outside in the purple woods. Um, and those were the only times that we really, and we did shoot a day or two days actually in a studio in Detroit uh, Vera, our our makeup artist, was friends is, is friends with a guy named Scott Sprague, and he he lent us his studio, which was great. It was a big studio in um, in Detroit. We painted this giant green screen, which was nice for the engineering scenes. You know, when you see uh, Francis climb up on the uh, on that that one set, so that was actually a, a, a true set. Oh wow! And he yeah, when he climbed up. Um, onto that, like, you know, to release the plasma drive, you know, release the plasma, you know, to, yep. uh, from the warp drive. Right. Yeah. He actually mm-hmm. climbed up on something and it was there. And that was the real, that was an actual real built. Uh, but besides that, it was all done in Tommy's parents' basement. Yeah. And so awesome. Um, you know, and we did, we had 18 shooting days for that film spread over a full year. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of challenges as an actor that way. You know, one that, you know, you're not shooting when you're in a big budgeted film, you know, or even a small budgeted film. I did a kid's film this year and um, it's, it's a, you know, it's a Lionsgate film and we had a month of shooting, you know, so I actually did more days on set on that film, but they were all in a row, you know, and that way you can really build character and really stick with the story and everything's fresh and, you know, with the budget constraints the way they were. Um, you know, we, we'd shoot and then we wouldn't be back for two, two months later. And it was snowing and Jackson's in the middle of the state. That's where Tommy's from. Um, you know, and you know, crappy with Michigan. So it's always crappy weather. You know, there's like four days of sun. And, uh, so, you know, that was, that was a, a lot of challenging parts, um, when you're doing a film like this. So, yeah, back to the whole basement thing. I mean, yes, Tommy's yeah. basement was cold. There were spiders and, uh, <laughs> and a 10-foot green screen. And then there was also a um, one of the interesting little sub-stories is when you see a scene where somebody is walking, right, you know, whether it's, you know, walking with Amelia that, you know, when, um, you know, she was taken from the bridge and she was, you know, walked out to the sick bay or, um, you know, when I'm walking with uh, – Francis, you know, the engineer, you know, down the hall, we were actually on a, uh, a treadmill and it was really only good enough for one person, but that treadmill's name was star track, (laughs) you know, how, how, uh, unique is or how, you know, I guess fitting is that. (laughs) I, I, that, that's amazing to me that the walk and talks were a treadmill. That's amazing. Yeah, and we had to do them separately, you know, so then he had to sync them up and, you know, it just it's just a testament to, you know, Tommy's skills with that CG because he really had to react, to, you know, he had to make the set react to us, you know, and not us react to the set. So, you know, which I guess is standard, like when I get blown up, I'm just, you know, and I'm lurching to one side, he had to build <laughs> that visually around, you know, my actions, which, 
you know, when you think about it, it's pretty wow. cool. Yeah. I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. I I had no idea that that that's even more impressive to me. I mean, I've loved everything about this movie so far, and then I get a detail like that, and my mind's blown even more. Wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes, absolutely. It, I can't I can't really fathom it because I'm not, I'm certainly not an actor, even though I play one on the podcast. But um, <laughs> I can't I can't. I used to think it was weird to see them, you know, shifting around on the bridge when they were getting hit by a torpedo in the original series and how they had all the physical things to work with, but not having that there, that's going to be very challenging for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, and there was, you know, there was no, the, the scenes where I was in that structure, you know, it's just basically a big open room. Um, and, yep. and so it's challenging, but it's fun. I mean, there's a lot of fun to it too as you have to create that image in your head. And, you know, of course, Tommy did a great job directing us because he, he definitely had it in his mind how he wanted the bridge, you know. Right. Um, and, of course, the bridge is a typical NX-class starship. So he knew where everything had to be. And, um, you know, you, there was only a couple scenes where we actually had two people being filmed on the green screen at once. And... Um, you know, in the ship and the bridge. So a lot of the reactions, it's, it, you know, it's challenging. And that's where, you know, when you have a big budget and you've got a full, you know, set, you know, it's a lot easier to do that. Absolutely. So sure. credit rest of the cast too. I mean, the whole cast, every, every member of the cast had to do that. So when you see like, you know, you know, Jackson, you know, talking to Tom and Marie reporting back, none of us were there together. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. We've Mind we've blown. been of the opinion that this movie is kind of a game changer as far as fan films go. We have seen a whole bunch of Star Trek fan films that have been shot in basements that look like they were shot in basements. And we think that you know this one obviously stands, you know, head and shoulders above the rest for obvious reasons. Do you think that this provides inspiration to other fans that may want to make a film and do you potentially see a new wave of fan films that you know don't need a million dollars well i hope so <laughs> um, yeah and i know that you know uh, there's you know there are some examples of fan films out there that you know definitely uh, reach for a high bar i know there's a star wars one out there but a lot of these fan films are 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, what sets this part, in my opinion, um, and not only the budget, so just push the budget aside, sure. is the fact that it's a complete film, you know, and it doesn't lack sound mixing. It doesn't, you know, has a, it has a, um, you know, a musical score behind it. You know, it's, it's edited, color corrected, you know, it's feature length film. It has an overarching theme and, you know, a uh, beginning, middle, end, protagonist, antagonist. It has everything that you expect from a feature film. And a feature film for uh, a lot of, you know, that, that you would see in a theater. And he created it basically himself, you know, in a basement. Right. So the bar is definitely set very high. You know, but this, you know, once he gets on, you know, he's, he's definitely a unique individual. I don't think there's a lot of people out there who have the perseverance, the termination, the commitment, you know, to spend three years of their lives, you know, making a film. 
you know, and Tommy has all of that. The only thing Tommy doesn't have is a girlfriend, which actually works in his favor. You know, so he's not getting distracted left and right. And, um, and, and so, you know, the, the hope is, is yeah, absolutely that it, it can be done and it can be done. And that you don't need, you know, a half a million, 750,000, a million dollars. You don't need that. And, you know, no, nothing. I, I don't have anything bad to say about any other of the fan film productions, but if you've got that type of money, you know, now you should be 10 times better than the film that Tommy put out. Mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, well, then you want, I mean, it's, it's one of two things. Either you can see the quality that Tommy has brought out because of his determination and commitment, you know, um, you know, or, you know, it's maybe, you know, some other aspect, you know, it, that's basically what it, it, it really is. It really equates to, you know, the power of a director and one person behind the project pushing it forward um the, the cast is great the makeup artists were great we got joined um by a lot of uh great people in california as well you know so there were people to help to help along this process but you know definitely it's it's just it, it was it was the tommy craft show for all intents and purposes you know i got to sit in the seat and i'm very honored about that and I hope I did an admiral, you know, I hope I brought, uh, I didn't, you know, totally embarrass them, but, um, you know, it's, it's just a pleasure when you get to work with somebody who, you know, in the future is going to be the next Josh Whedon, you know, um, or, or JJ, but I think more like a Josh than a JJ. <laughs> that's That's awesome. I have one, one question to go back to, uh, Captain Hawk's character that I wanted to ask you about, because one of the things that I found very interesting was when you were having the discussion in the cabin and you were outside talking, um, this was the first time that I can recall um, a discussion about someone joining Starfleet for revenge purposes. Basically. Uh, I thought that was a very interesting backstory plot for captain Hawk. Was that something that, Tommy came up with, or was it a discussion that the two of you had for this backstory? I thought it was a very strong uh, part of Captain Hawk, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, um, it's part of Captain Hawk's character, and, and it's kind of his own redemption, you know, arc. Because later in the film, you see the uh, the, the the next conversation with you know. Uh, Brooks, Commander Brooks, regarding the similar type of situation where, you know, he had with his fiance and the Romulans. And by the way, spoiler alert. So if anyone's not seen it, go see it first. Um, but yeah, Captain Hawk is was definitely motivated by that revenge, but also, you know, almost embarrassed about it later on and, and or wishing that it didn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. because trying to hold himself to the ideals of Starfleet. And, you know, the ideals of what, you know, they were supposed to represent as, you know, this next stage in humanity, you know, happens and the evolution of, you know, uh, humanity. And, and he, just the, the base desire to go out there and find the people who had, you know, killed his, his girlfriend. Yeah. And that's kind of like really what motivates him to step in, you know, with Commander Brooks and say, hey, listen, I know what you're going through, you know, but don't go through, you know, this, 
this, uh, you know, go, don't go through with your hatred, you know, try to get rid of that hatred, you know, try not to have it consume you because it basically consumed Hawk, you know, and then he, he gave up everything or he, he let everything that he was supposed to, you know, stand for just kind of melt away when he actually had the, the, the meeting with the people who did that to his, uh, his fiance. So yeah, it's, and that was written in that's, and that's what another thing about this Star Trek, when I read the script, it was so ambitious, but it was also, you know, kind of real Trek, something that maybe we're losing a little bit with, you know, the, you know, hundred million dollar blockbusters mm-hmm. is the, the uh, vulnerability of a character, you know, and how we're not all super cool people, you know what I mean? Right. The, the one thing about, you know, when you look at the, the new movies is they're all really good looking and cool. You know what I mean? And they all yeah. got to go for them and they're all hip and funny. And, you know, this this crew and for the most part is just real people and they've had real experiences and they're not they have, you know, backstories of pain. And, and that's that's more realistic of what you would find you know, out there in the real world than, you know, necessarily having a, you know, and nothing against the new movies, by the way. Right. Um, right. I am definitely a fan of J.J. Abrams. And I know that that Trekkies will freak out about it, but. Nope. Love them. Not us. anyway. Nope. (laughs) Bringing a lot of people into the Trek universe who are young. Now, are they getting what you would classify as classic Trek? You know, like, can you compare the Wrath of Khan versus, you know, the last movie with, um, with Cumberbatch, no, there's just, you can't. I mean, when you look at the wrath of Khan, you know, and you, you, that was just an amazing movie because of all of like all of even Captain Kirk's own vulnerabilities, what he did and he felt bad about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, it was just more, it was more meaty and more fully rounded. And also the whole idea of, Starfleet is supposed to be about honor and it's supposed to be about, you know, humanity at its best. And that's something that I think, you know, it, it may get lost a little in the, you know, the, uh, the, the new movies. And, and, you know, I mean, you could see a little bit of it. They, they tried. I, he definitely tried, you know, so. Um, well, wish, wish we had his budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said a few minutes ago about how the movies, you know, all the actors look good and everything. I'll tell you, man, Hawk looks all right to me. He's a strapping lad. <laughs> yeah. He needs to jog a little more. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they look real. They look, it's a good crew, you yeah. know, and they're, they're all good-looking guys, but they're not all 20, you know? I right. mean, <laughs> if you've ever... And I was in the military, by the way. I was in the Marine Corps. And, you know, you get to the rank of captain, you know, which is, you know, like a lieutenant colonel in the Army, or, you know, it's like, you know, you're up there. You know what I mean? Right. You're not 20. <laughs> <They're> so, <laughs> no. You're not 30. You're, you're in your 40s, heading towards 50 easily. And... uh and, and there's a reason for that. So, you know, it, 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 that's what Bacula's character in Enterprise was, you know, definitely interesting about. And think about Picard. Even Picard was not very young. He wasn't a right. spring chicken in that, you know. Now, Kirk was younger in the beginning, but, you know, 
he he was he was like a captain forever. He never got promoted. Well, he got demoted once, and then you know. Um, <laughs> but you know, you look at the new version, and it's like I understand the method behind, like what they're trying to do. You know, bringing in the young people with you know the the great scenes and the the epic CG and you know people that and, and you can see this YouTube on YouTube when somebody who is a you can tell the 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 fans you can tell what kind of star trek they're used to by the comments they make you know um you know because they're like where is chris pine and and on the trailer especially on the trailer the first one that's been viewed so many times you know you get people who are just they're not sure what's going on here (laughs) you know they're like wait a second you know this doesn't look like chris pine and zoe sadano you know and it's like where is all the good looking people you know (laughs) and then of course we have to bring out ashley and uh you know ashley callie and you know uh janine and say hey we do have good looking people (laughs) all the females no the guys are pretty cute too (laughs) hey guys there he is. Hey. There's Tommy. Tommy is now back with us. Good to have you, Tommy. Um, yes, I am so, so, so sorry about that. I just want to say that I've never missed a podcast in my life, and except for the two times I've missed with you guys. <laughs> that just shows that we're extra special. That's true. I, that- I waited just for you guys to, to make my first mistake. We have that effect on people. We've heard that. Made, by the way. What was that? Those were the only two mistakes I've ever made in my life. So. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're glad that you're we're glad that you're able to join us. Um, we are we are wrapping up our our discussion with Paul. I had one quick question for Paul um, in regards to uh, uh, what you're doing nowadays. We know that now um, Captain Hawk is is in good hands with you, and we'll get into it with Tommy in a few minutes. We hope we get to see him again. But until we Paul see Captain Harrison. What's that? Paul can't stick around with me? Uh, he can oh, if he, he wants can. to. Oh, yeah, sure he can. Absolutely. It's up to you guys. I don't <laughs> yeah. care. Um, and if, if, we, if it's a while before we see Captain Hawk again, where can fans go to see you? What are you up to these days? And uh, do you have any social media outlets that people can uh, take a look at? Well, I'm actually, yeah, they can always find me, you know, definitely on Facebook and just Google my name. Um, and I'm on IMDb. I do have a small role, like we, we talked about in the Batman Superman movie coming out nice. um, on, the, on the 25th. Uh, you'll see me yelling my brains out there. Um, I also have uh, another uh, kids film coming out where I play Al Capone. And that's called uh, Thrill Ride. And Tommy actually is working on that film right now. And so um, I hooked up Tommy and the director of that film. And... Um, so yeah, there's there's that coming out, and you know I, like I'm out, I'm out there. It's not hard to find me, uh, and I always try to respond, you know, to uh, fans and stuff. So um, you can definitely, if you comment on the on the, you know, film, I try to thank all those who who say the nice comments, and you know, uh, I do a little troll hunting every once in a while. <laughs> I, I, I'm not gonna lie, uh, <laughs> sometimes they get the better of me, but you know. Uh, Beyond that, you know, being out here in California and, um, you know, hopefully this year uh, when I get back into it, uh, you'll see me a little bit more, uh, which which should happen. And then uh, once I'm joined by Tommy out here in California, we're just going to we're going to blow it up. We're going to do a sequel and everyone will get 
<laughs> Hopefully, I don't miss my airplane uh, like the way I missed the podcast. <laughs> well, if you do miss the air, if you do miss the flight, Tommy, we know that you've got a good basement where you are now that you could do the sequel to. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've never done that before. <laughs> we have been joined uh, by the oh boy. This there's a lot of things that we could call you, Tommy. But uh, let's see. Uh, you're the mastermind behind this incredible film, Star Trek Horizon. Welcome, uh, Tommy Kraft. Uh, let's see, writer, director, editor, musician, director of photography, costume designer, visual effects creator. Did I miss anything, man? <laughs> I I don't think so. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, can hear you okay. just fine. Yep. I was like, sorry about that. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think you missed anything. We mentioned uh, just a bit ago all of your various roles that you played behind the scenes on this film. Was was it hard to juggle all of that? I mean, did you have a hard time keeping all that straight in any given day? Yeah, occasionally. I mean, some some of the harder stuff was like scheduling and keeping and like keeping shooting moving along day in day out and uh keeping everything organized but there was also it was also kind of a blessing in some ways too because since i was doing everything i didn't have to uh you know it, it was just my, my system and so when I, I put files somewhere on my computer i knew where i put them i didn't have to worry about necessary i mean i tried to be organized but it didn't have to be like this really rigid uh, hierarchical hierarchical thing that you would do on a huge project with a huge team and so it would have been nice to have other people of course to to help out but there is also that benefit too in that i just you know i knew where everything was but i'd say definitely probably the biggest challenge for me was directing while shooting while you know lighting while also trying to keep the schedule moving along and keeping everything flowing on set I, I can't even imagine. I think you should have taken on a couple more roles, personally. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I thought about taking on sound designer for a while. I was thought I was going to have to. So I. Oh my did. gosh! Wow. Well, I'll tell you, Tommy. One of the things that both Bill and I enjoyed so much about Horizon is the fact that it takes place during the same time as Star Trek Enterprise, or pretty much after Enterprise's uh, time on television. Uh, as a matter of fact, we see the good old NX01 in the film on more than one occasion. Uh, Bill and I really enjoyed Enterprise and feel uh, it really never got the love that it deserves. So we're thrilled at this aspect of your film. Um, is there a particular reason that you chose that timeline for the film or were there a bunch of reasons from a story perspective that made it a better way to go? Well, the long and the short of it is the enterprise is very personally important to me. I love all, all of Star Trek, but you know, when I was having a particularly bad episode, if you will, of depression, anxiety, OCD, all that, um, uh, enterprise helped me through it. And that was in 2012 ish. And so enterprise became more personally important to me than the other Trek shows, which I just loved, but didn't like have that, you know, that tangible connection with. Um, and so hmm. that's, that's a lot of the reason I picked enterprise. I mean, some of the other reasons too, though, were as you said, it just hasn't been done before. Um, and you know, nobody's really done an enterprise. I mean, there's a couple lurking out there, but it hasn't really been, um, you know, that strongly looked at for fan films. You have a lot of TOS, you have a decent amount of, of TNG era. So I, I felt there was kind of a, a void to be filled. And there was also a void regarding Enterprise, too, because they had story threads that were left hanging. And so it was the best of both worlds. 
and I had the passion for the show on top of it, and it just kind of just kind of flowed and kind of happened. That's great. I do I do want to say from a personal note that um, hearing that from you. Uh, strikes a chord with me very strongly because uh, as Bill knows and some of our listeners knows, some of our listeners know, I had a very similar difficult time uh, earlier in my life and Star Trek helped me get through it as well. So um, I congratulate you on, on getting through that uh, with you. And it's good to have uh, something like Star Trek to help us through those times. Well, thank you. And I, and I agree completely. That's sort of one of the things I love about, you know, anything in the artistic field. It's just really amazing to me how those things can affect us in such deep ways and, and help bring about, you know, sometimes a lot of big changes in our, our lives and way of thinking. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that I had like this epiphany while watching enterprise. I'm mean, not like it was one day I was one person and the next day, next another person, you know, but it, it was very instrumental in, in an overall period I was going through. And, and I, I might not have gone, certain directions in my life that I did if it hadn't been for Enterprise. Right. So, Tommy, with regards to fan films these days, it seems like there's a giant elephant in the room whenever anybody talks about them. So, just out of curiosity, throughout this process, was there any contact at all from CBS while you were making Horizon or before you released it? And if there was, did they did they have any concerns? Oh, I never heard a word from them at all, actually. Um uh, I never like had any sort of contact with anybody from any studio in any way. Um, and so I was just in, and not just the studios too, but like, I like horizon and it never got the attention that some of the others did beforehand. Sure. Um, and so like for a lot of the process, I was just kind of you know, hole up, you know, in my little, my little room with my computer and all that and, and working for those three years. So it was a pretty quiet process in a lot of ways. I never heard from anybody regarding reality. Thankfully, I should say. Thankfully, yeah. anyway. uh, I was. It's not like I was looking to hear from CBS. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, that kind of makes me feel good because um, you know, there are a lot of people worrying about the state of fan films today. And we were talking earlier, and we've mentioned how we think this is kind of a game-changing fan film, and. We hope it, it spurs more creativity from people from, you know, the product that you've generated. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. And, you know, the, when, it, when it comes to the legal stuff, you know, I don't have inside information. I don't know anybody at CBS, but it seems to me that there was only one production targeted. And, you know, there's, and I don't think it was money because there's other productions that have raised pretty respectable amounts of money over their lifetime. And so I would like to think that, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, CBS targeted Axanar, um, there, there's a difference with the other projects that they don't have a problem with. And I would like to think too, that anybody who looks at my project or any of the others can see that like, this is, you know, this is a fan in my case who just loved Star Trek and also loves making movies and devoted his basically his entire life to it for over three years and made a movie on almost no budget. And I think there's, I, I hope that, you know, the powers that be can recognize the difference between that and something that's basically a business venture. Mm -hmm. Um, 
We uh, recently, uh, uh, I was reading over some information. You were recently a guest on uh, the GNT show and, and had some great yep. things to say. And, and one of the things that really piqued my curiosity, and I don't want to get into what ifs or everything, but I just have to ask, you mentioned that you had Sargon in part of your script at one point. What was that all about? Can you share any of that? Uh, if I can remember it, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest, because that was like draft one, like over three years ago. Wow. It, it tied in with um, the Iconian backstory. And so originally it was the whole Iconian thing and the first draft was much more complex and there was more going on. And it didn't work because the way the script was structured in the original was that scene uh, with Hassat and Janyo and the, the, what's the opening scene now with the Iconians. That scene showed up in the middle of the movie originally. Oh, wow. Okay. And it, it was part of a longer set of like three scenes of which Sargon was also involved. And if I recall correctly, what I was going to go for was something like Sargon was an ally of the Iconians or, or maybe an enemy. Honestly, I don't remember which, uh, <laughs> but it was the whole idea was to, um, was to really put emphasis on the idea of that every time somebody has tried to bring about peace in the galaxy, somebody else has come over to, to knock that building down. And so what I was going for in the original draft was it got screwed up with Sargon, it got screwed up with the Iconians, and it may also get screwed up with the Federation. And so it just became too much, and I just condensed it down into only the Iconians and their battle with the airway. But, gotcha. um, you know, maybe have me back again someday after I have gone back and I can reread the first draft of the script and see what <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's fair. I think we can do that. <laughs> At, um, I won't forget that time. <laughs> <laughs> Dan forgets all the time. Don't worry about it. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Tommy, when did you realize in the course of, of putting this together that this was really going to be a real thing? You know, because I think every fan has a dream of, of sort of making their own version of Star Trek. But, you know, at some point it goes from idea to something tangible. Uh, at what point did you realize, yeah. oh, my God, I'm really doing this? That's a good question, because I don't think there was any specific moment where, you know, where I had that epiphany where it was like, I'm doing the movie. It just kind of slowly happened. And when I started. Started writing that. I remember saying to my friend, uh, who, who also is uh, does filmmaking, and he's basically the guy that whenever I write a script, I show him my script because um, because I, I that's how much I appreciate his feedback, and he tells me how much it sucks and what I need to fix. Uh, <laughs> and and he and he hates fan films. He's one of those people that's very much on like if you're going to do something, do original. And so I was writing a script and he's like, oh, you're not going to do a fan film, are you? And my response at the time was, well, I don't know. I'm just writing the script right now. We'll see what happens. And, you know, the more I wrote and then I decided, well, you know, I might as well at least start modeling the bridge of the ship. Well, I might as well at least start modeling the ship. Well, I'm already here. I might as well start doing the corridors. <laughs> um, and so at some point I finished the script and then I finished, you know, the subsequent drafts. And it wasn't to say that, like, along that process, I never had plans to do it. I just wasn't sure if I was going to fully commit to it. And so I think probably within a couple of months um, 
of when I really started to work on it, like when I started writing the script and working on the models, that's when I really decided that, hey, I'm going to do this. But it really was just an organic process, which incidentally is kind of giving me a hard time now in choosing my next project because I'm starting, I'm trying to wonder like, what do I have to do to, to get a project going again? Because that just happened so organically last time. Um, but, you know, yeah, to answer the question, it just I there wasn't really a set time when I decided that I was going to do this. But if I had to pick one, it'd probably be when I started casting actors because I was like, OK, I'm kind of locked in now. <laughs> um, we talked about uh, you talked about the Iconians a, a few moments ago. Uh, one of the things that we enjoyed so much about Horizon is that it pulled so many aspects of Star Trek into it. Uh, you have being cast in the Enterprise era. Uh, you have the Iconians and you see the gateways. And you had a brilliant tie-in to the J.J. movie with the destruction of Romulus. Uh, you were able to hit it on so many different things. Regarding Romulus, was it your intention to have Daikon kind of channel some inner Nero with his um, being hell-bent on destroying the Federation? Well, I, one other thing I will say, too, the other tie-in that I did at J.J. that I think one person in the YouTube comments got was one thing that always bothered me about the J.J. timeline, uh, alternate timeline thing was, the fact that every other time we've done time travel in Star Trek, um, the the timeline has not reset. You know, it's not become an alternate universe. And it, whenever somebody went back and changed the past, the future just changed with it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, and if I was going to go back and write the script now, I'd do a lot of this differently. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But Daikon in his monologue at the towards the end when he's explaining that it's the Temporal Observatory, yada yada. He has this thing about how if you change too much at any given time, uh, the, the fabric of the universe fractures yep. and the universe is born. So that was my way of explaining that, that like, i.e. the destruction of Vulcan by Nero is what separated the universes. Um, but <laughs> in, in regards to Daikon, that's a, I, I wasn't ever, to be completely honest, I wasn't completely sure how, uh, how strongly I felt about the way I wrote his character throughout it. That's not to say I'm unhappy with it, but um, I, if I went back and did it again, I might do some things differently. But that said, I was always aware of the fact that he was Nero-ish and that his motivations are because of the destruction of Romulus. The only separation really is that, you know, Nero was directly tied to Romulus's destruction and Daikon comes many centuries later after Romulus are basically all gone. And so, I mean, again, if I was hindsight is 2020, I would want to show more and, and tell less and like show how that affected the future with the Romulans and Daikon and, and why he's so passionate about it. But no, I mean, to, to answer your question succinctly after I've rambled, <laughs> I, I was aware of his, uh, of his similarities to Nero. And I, it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah, it didn't really bother me too much at that time. That worked. I said, I guess the good thing is, is different from Nero and Khan is we don't know if Daikon's, uh, you know, being hell bent on destroying the Federation was based over a woman. <laughs> right, Bill? That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, Tommy, I have to ask you, what happened to Marie? <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Wow. Uh, I'm glad to see he's still there. Um, I, well, the lo- the the short answer is I lost her footage in her for her final scene. Um, oh, and 
th this goes back to the earlier question about being one person organizing all of this. And so part of the way I worked was I didn't sit down and edit the movie all at once. And part of that is because I shot the movie over the course of a year. So it was around 18 days of shooting spread out over the course of an entire year. And so I was basically editing each scene of the movie after I finished the effects on the previous scene. So I'd edit, and edit a scene, do the visual effects, which might take anywhere from a week to a month or two, depending on the complexity of the scene. Wow. One scene. And then I would edit the next scene and do the visual effects and so on. And so by the, and so because of that, I went largely in order when I was making the movie, editing and visual effects. And by the time I got to the end where Marie has one last scene, I couldn't find her footage for that last scene, no matter what I did, no matter where I looked, I could not find it anywhere. And so it wasn't, you know, like a, a groundbreaking scene or anything like that. It was just, she shows up again towards the end to basically let the audience know that, Hey, she's still alive. She's okay. <laughs> and so, and the footage disappeared somehow. And so I just wound up having to cut the whole scene. It was one final briefing scene with the captain and Marie and the rest of the crew where he's basically like, Hey, we're going to the Sharon system. And that's that. And it actually was part of the final scene with the captain and Amelia and the very last scene. So the briefing just took place before that. So I just cut the briefing and, and it winds up that we never know what happened to Marie. And that's, you know, part of the problem with this low budget thing too, is I just didn't have really the time or resources to, to work with getting another shoot set up with Ashley and her schedule and everything to, uh, to make that last scene happen. So I just had to cut it, unfortunately. It'll be in the uh, behind the scenes special DVD version someday, hopefully. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem is the footage doesn't exist, so I mean, it won't be anywhere. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Dan. Sorry. Wow, that was bad. Okay. <laughs> I, I think you forgot. So. I did. I did. I'm. I'm. For, see, I forgot. See, it's there's the proof. Everybody wants to know. It, yeah. it happens. <laughs> Hey, uh, Tommy, one thing back to on the JJ uh, track real quick. One thing I wanted to say is that um, I love the lens flare that you put in. I'm a big lens oh. flare guy. I think it's great. So congrats on that. Oh, good. <laughs> I think you're about the only person that, that shares that opinion with me. And I don't even think I use that many lens flares overall no? in the movie. So, um, you know, I just have a, a quick uh, anecdote for why people who complain about lens flares piss me off. Uh, because I saw an article on GameSpot, of all places, before Star Wars came out. And it was, they were talking about the trailer. And there was like 10 egregious uses of J.J. Abrams' lens flare, lens flare in the Star Wars trailer. And so they had clips of each time he egregiously used lens flare. 10 clips. I looked <laughs> at all of them. There was not one effing lens flare <laughs> in any of those 10 clips. <laughs> So it really makes me wonder, like when people complain about lens flares, do they even know what they're saying half the time? I don't know. I think they're gorgeous. <laughs> I do too. But I actually I, know what they are. So right, I've, right. I've, I've liked them. I've always liked them. I have too, since I was a kid, yeah. honestly, even before I knew of JJ. So we did ask this question to Paul and I will ask it again. I'm sure you guys get asked it all the time, but I'll repeat it again for you guys. The success of Horizon has been just incredible and we hope it continues uh, as it has over the two weeks that the movie's been out sequel maybe captain hawk oh. again in the captain's chair i'm all for it yeah i was gonna <laughs> say i know paul's all for it and i know ryan the chief engineer he's all for it he wants he even created a change.org petition to try and get people to sign it and change 
by mine. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I found it amusing. But, you know, the thing is with a sequel is I, I actually know what I would do if I had a sequel, like an overall idea. It's not that I haven't thought about it. But that being said, you know, I want to be a professional filmmaker, writer, director. And so if I had unlimited time and money, I'm sure I would do a sequel. But I think, you know, fan films have taken me about, about as far as they can take me professionally now that I've finished Horizon. And my goal with every project I've ever done has been to learn as much as I can and make the next project better because of it. And so I think if I did another fan film, it would be more time and would open less doors than would be useful to me professionally. And now that being said, if I could somehow get, you know, gobs of money to do it, I think I'd have a hard time turning it down. But, you know, it would have to be gobs of money because <laughs> I really like I literally don't have the energy to make another movie the way I did Horizon. Right. And that's part of why it was so cheap because I did everything. And so, so, so yeah, no. So the uh, question I, is define gob. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> literally at least 500 grand to a million. Um, wow, that's gobs. Yeah. Yeah, that is gobs, <laughs> which is actually not gobs in the world of movies. But I, you know, when when you're making a big sci-fi movie, and if you're not doing everything, and by the way, I never took a paycheck either. So it's not even like I got anything for my work on this other than personal enrichment and right. making a movie. Um, so if I'm going to spend, again, three years of my life, so I'll be like 28 by the time Horizon 2 is done. Um, and I will only have made one more movie and I'll still likely be in Michigan by the time I'm 28. I won't be any further in my career. And I may have gotten, you know, a, some kind of monetary assistance from Kickstarter or something to do the sequel, but I won't be any further where I want to be. Right. So, uh, but that said, if I'm ever given the opportunity, I know what I would do. So there's that. That's still not a no. So I just <laughs> want to put that out there. That's very true. That was like the, that was like a 20 minute maybe. <laughs> and <laughs> well, see, see, the reason that's a 20 minute maybe is because I like to give people things, you know, I like to, I like to be a good interviewee. So you, so you have material. You know? That's right. Yeah. And then, of course, if you came out to California and you got gobs of money, you know, it's a whole other ballgame. If I got gobs of money, I would just probably do an original project with it. So, uh, because again, you know, I want to be a professional movie maker. So, and I don't think doing another fan film would help me in that regard. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Tommy, if anything, uh, another thing I can tell you that you are going to be getting is tons of recognition for what you've accomplished with this film. Um, and hopefully it is the springboard uh, to to that gobs of money to make the movies that you want to mo- make because you are a brilliant uh, filmmaker. Uh, Paul, it is it is awesome to see you sitting in that captain's chair, and I certainly want to see you there again. Um, uh, thank you. Th- gentlemen, the project has been nothing but brilliant in my eyes. Both Bill and I, I think, can agree upon that, that it is something that we are going to be very enthusiastic to talk about on the podcast for a long time to come because it is something that we as Star Trek fans have been looking for, for a long time. Uh, We congratulate both of you for a job well done. And we certainly wish you both the best of luck in any future project. And we hope we see that Starfleet Delta in something coming down the road later. 
Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, it's very encouraging of you to say all those wonderful things. And oh, it's our pleasure. Too. Oh, it's our pleasure. We hope to have you on sometime in the future. Maybe when you have an announcement, you can let us know and we'll have you on. Uh, folks, his name is Tommy Kraft. He is the mastermind behind Star Trek Horizon. And also with us this evening is Paul Lang, who is Captain Harrison Hawk in Horizon. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for joining and uh, live long and prosper. Thank you. You as well. So, Dan, what I got from that conversation is that you and I could probably make a pretty kick-ass movie in your basement. Let's do it. Okay. I'll get some green paint. We'll paint the wall. We don't even need a blanket. We'll just do the whole place. We'll paint green. It'll be great. It, It... in all seriousness, I am amazed at the level of quality, knowing that is how they made the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. What really blew me away is is after you know um, seeing the movie, I've gone and I've watched the blooper reel, which is actually available, which is pretty good if you want to go check it out. But 95%, 90, more than 95% of everything isn't, wasn't there when they were filming. So I got to take my hat off to all of the actors involved in this to be able to pretend to be hitting buttons on a console when it wasn't really there and to look up like over their shoulder to look at the captain, for example, to say something. And the captain wasn't really there because they filmed it all separately. That's, that's pretty awesome. That takes some good concentration and good acting skills well and the treadmills yeah i had no idea that the walk and talks were were shot separately and then composited using a treadmill oh my god one of the be- if they had a blooper of like the treadmill like going in high speed by mistake <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome that would have been good <laughs> yeah but th- it's it's really is something to see the level of of detail and and how well, Tommy put this together with what little he had. You can't tell that he had only that little amount of money and it awesome job. I'm I'm very curious now to see what he does next, knowing that it's not going to be a horizon sequel, and I, I totally understand and respect mm-hmm. why. You know, the, the he's got career goals and I, I think that's phenomenal. Good for him, honestly. But I want to see what he does next now. Yeah. Because he was this creative you know, with the old adage in business is doing more with less. He was doing the most of what was humanly possible with as less as you could have. Right. I think what's going to happen with this, I certainly hope this happens, is of course now that it's been released, there are all kinds of online awards for movies and, and shows and stuff like that. I can guarantee you he's going to get some big recognition this year with what he's accomplished. And I hope that just springboards him into the bigger things that he wants to do. I agree with you. Here's hoping, and uh, we hope everyone enjoyed our conversation with Paul and with Tommy, two great guys, and we hope to have them both back here on Trek Geek sometime very soon. Absolutely. If you have any questions regarding Horizon, or you just want to give us some feedback in general, or ask Dan about his failed audition with Striper, there are a few ways to get in touch with us. On Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is TrekGeeks. That's pretty convenient. You can also email us at trekgeeks at starfleet.com, or you can also pick up the phone and give us a ring at 508-784-1701. Plus now, Dan, I don't know if you know this, you can join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Did you know that? 
It's awesome. <laughs> it's fun. We um we've got a lot of people interacting out there. It's a great time. We've been dropping the uh, the episodes yeah. of Trek Geeks out there early mm-hmm. as a thank you to our campers out of Camp Kittimer. So they usually get it the night before everybody else. So to join the group, head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash camp Kittimer and we'll let you right in. Well, I'll let you right in. Dan probably won't because he's still struggling with that whole internet thing. I'm an admin. Yeah, yes, you are, buddy. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, though. The uh, uh, early drop of the episode, it's kind of like a perk. It kind of is. Fundraisers, it's kind of cool. It's a free perk. And it's free, yeah. <laughs> Just because we love our campers and we love everybody that listens. So, And also, please remember, any comments or messages that you may leave us in any of these places could be used in a future episode of Trek Geeks. So... In case you send us something, just know you might hear it again. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of hearing people, Dan, what? we also want Star Trek fans to reach out to us for something very special. Very special indeed, yes. We are going to be putting together uh, a special celebration for Star Trek's 50th anniversary, and we want you to help us with that. We want you to tell us about the first time you ever watched Star Trek for our special Trek 50 project. All you need to do is leave us a message telling us how you began your Trek. Uh, as we've said, the thing that unites us as fans is our love for these stories and for these characters. Uh, everybody's story is unique. What episode or movie was your first? What did you like the most? What made you want to keep watching? All these kind of questions. We want to hear the answers to them. So we're going to take all of your messages and we're going to publish them as a special podcast episode for Star Trek's 50th anniversary later this year in September. Uh, just give us a call at 508-784-1701 and leave a voicemail or record a message right on our website at trekgeeks.com slash trek50. Uh, and please remember to tell us your name, where you're calling from, and keep your message to a maximum of three minutes. Don't ramble on like Bill always does and go on and on and on, and nobody's going to want to hear the end of it, and it'll just be a disaster. So three minutes, right, Bill? Uh, yes, three minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of rambling. Yes. Oh, you got that, did you? Yeah, I don't. I miss a few things every now and then. But <laughs> that's a. Uh, are you Are you all set? I'm good. All Back right. Back to you, Bill. Thank you, Dad. I forgot to do that. <laughs> well, you know, it's these it's these minor things that happen. I understand. That's all right. We'd uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. They are all of the amazing music you hear on Trek Geeks, and we can't possibly thank them enough. Uh, it's the best music. Uh, all based on the original Star Trek series. Go out to fiveyearmission.net, buy some year one, some year two. Dan's dancing in his chair right now. I'm sure. (laughs) They are your house band for STLV this summer, the official 50th anniversary Star Trek convention in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. But uh, fiveyearmission.net, please check them out and support them. For now, this has been episode 52 of Trek Geeks. We thank you all for downloading, and we hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut you, Bill. Coconut you. (laughs) I got nothing.
Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing 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 bong. Bing bong bong. Bing bong. Bing 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 bong. Bing bong. Dong. Hi. What is this? Carol of the Nerds? Sorry, uh, sorry for the delay. We were finishing up episode two of Bosch. And how are you liking it? Liking it. It's a fantastic. I love Titus Welliver. Yeah, it is. It is great. I, I am not fond of attorneys. I don't want to say it meanly, but I'm not fond of attorneys and what they do in court. And I'm not fond of the press and what they do to get stories leaked out so far. It's just very aggravating. I understand. Okay. Good. I but like I think that um, I think you will enjoy all of the first season. We're almost through the second season. We have like yeah. two episodes left. Okay. Um, I like the um, the girl that he's the the patrol officer that he's dating right now. When she walked up to the window of, of the glass of his house in just cowboy boots. <laughs> oh, um, Annie Wershing from twenty four. Was she in twenty four? Okay, yeah. she was. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, she's great in the series. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we're liking it a lot. It's pretty cool. It's a it's one of those that I think is hit or miss, but I tell you what, man, Lance Reddick oh. makes that series. I so want him to be a starship captain. Wouldn't he be awesome? We should you know what? We should start tweeting creation or not creation, but CBS or whoever. Hey uh, Brian Fuller or Rod Roddenberry. Yeah. Absolutely. Got a little uh Strabaniero again. Oh, <laughs> I think I just threw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> I was watching a review from some beer site today on YouTube, and they gave it a B minus. So. Whoa, hey, that's that's a little more sound effect than I need, brother. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> you ready, ready to do this? Way to go, true fan. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, you can't see the trademark symbol after that. So, wow. Nor do I want to. Drama queen. No. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I said the wrong word. I meant to say Garth of Izar. <laughs> Whatever. Oops. <laughs> they're they're kind of one and the same at this point, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm just being a drama queen. You are. God, dude, get off of your high horse and I don't know. It'll look good when you have the crown and necklace on, though. It will. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I am Lord Bill. I am Lord Bill. That's what I just said. I'm not paying attention to you anymore because I'm Oh, I see. All right. I am Lord Bill, master of the universe. 